The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing? Welcome back to the show. Today is going to be part three in that three-part series of working with different kinds of impairments in the studio. Uh, we've already talked to Brandon Downs about visual impairments, Marie Fowler about auditory impairments, and today we're going to talk about physical impairments. And my guest is going to be Eleanor Boyd. Eleanor had a spinal fusion surgery years ago, and uh, it, you know it really affects the way that uh, I would work, certainly. Uh, Eleanor works primarily from a seated position. Uh, she makes sure that she has kind of, um, you know, variation in her day, you know, gets up, walks around, stretches, mobility, things like that. For me, a lot of my day is just standing in place and hunching over, and uh, it's not great for me. So uh, we talked to Eleanor Boyd about how that affects her workday, and then we go off onto a, a couple different things that are related. Ergonomics is, is one of them. Uh, you know, if you're going to be working in, a, in an alternate position, something like a seated position, a lot of different things in your studio are, are possibly going to need to change, you know, uh, where you have things mounted on the wall, your accessibility to things like sinks and countertops and tools and, you know, all, all the different stuff that goes along with, with body piercing. Uh, so, you know, we talk about other things uh, that are kind of Eleanor specific, uh, different kinds of medication she takes and how that affects her day, how she has to kind of incorporate it into her schedule. Um, you know, there, there were points where she was working with a cane or with crutches. So we, we kind of talk about how that gets kind of factored into the, uh, the workday too. And then after we talk about the, uh, the different physical issues, we kind of just start talking about some, some piercer nerd stuff. You know, we talk a good amount about jewelry. Uh, we kind of just go off on a tangent. We talk about, uh, you know, how you can kind of use your own jewelry as an icebreaker talking to, to clients and how sometimes, you know, if you're a person like me, um, it can be really awkward and uncomfortable uh, saying, oh, hey, hey, stare at me for a minute, and, you know, and then judge what I'm wearing in my face. Um, so we talk about that. We talk about some of the hits and misses we've had with uh, different kinds of jewelry combos, trying new stuff in the studio, different colors and, and gems and, and stones. And uh, it's just kind of like a, a fun piercer nerd conversation. A couple different things for me as I'm recording this. Uh, it's just before I leave for New York for all the WrestleMania weekend wrestling nerd stuff. This episode is going to be going up uh, just after I get back. I'm not really sure where uh, future episodes are going to go. Um, I, I'm definitely going to have an episode next week, but you know, as I'm recording this, I have no idea who I'm going to interview. I have no idea what subject matter I'm going to do. I did end up putting up that uh, anonymous Google form on the piercingwizardpodcast.com website. So if you want to go there, you can submit some ideas, some suggestions. Uh, you know, I've been getting a lot of nice feedback and, and people will kind of, they'll pick this one little thing that I mentioned on a show and they'll say, oh, I love that, you know, maybe do more of that. 
I had somebody say that they really liked me talking about how I completely blew a tongue piercing. Maybe not completely blew. The, the piercing came out straight, and it was clean, and it was healthy, and it'll heal. But I was a doofus when I was putting the jewelry in, and I had to make some some stupid uh, some back steps. So stuff like that. Maybe it would be cool if uh, you know we got some experienced body piercers talking about how they screw up too. You know, maybe it can be uh, kind of inspiring for younger piercers to know that you know if you're stumbling or struggling with something that you can kind of work through it. But even with a lot of experience, you still make mistakes because we're we're human beings. We're not robots as much as I try to be. Uh, I am not a robot, so. Maybe check out that Google form. Um, I'll put it up again on the Piercing Wizard Podcast Facebook page, but uh, for right now, it's definitely available on piercingwizardpodcast.com. It'll be right at the top of the page. You can go there and you can say, hey, maybe talk to this person or maybe talk on this subject. Or if you are an experienced body piercer, it's an anonymous form. You can uh, you can type out one of your stories and, and I'll just read it on the air. I won't know who it was. And you can maybe kind of share your experiences with uh, with other body piercers. Um, I'm probably going to end up doing some sort of a get ready for conference kind of episode coming up soon. I think uh, Baron was talking to me about wanting to to get involved with something like that. Uh, I know that I've talked to Kale like a million times on this show, so maybe I'll leave her alone. I know she's got a lot uh, going, getting ready for you know taking over her position on the board, but also running the the mentor program and doing all these other things, getting ready for conference. So uh, I think uh, I'll chat with Baron a little bit. My classes are going pretty good, I, I think. You know, I, I've got the uh, the nipple class in the works with Becky. We've been talking a little bit. You know, she she did a lot of work on the handout, and uh, we really have to start working really heavy duty on that uh, slideshow and get it tightened up. And then I've got my other classes. I, I, the workshop's going pretty good. I put together kind of a flow chart for Baron and Lola. We're all going to kind of start practicing the uh, the info that we're going to be covering individually in the class. And then I just have to finish up that lip piercing class. And then I think I'm done. And I, I've got a good uh, five weeks or so to, to get it ready. So I think everything should be pretty awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to conference. Finishing up my time on the board, you know, I, I'm very much ready for that to be, uh, you know, a, a turn a page kind of a thing, new chapter in my life and, and whatnot. And uh, going forward, I got a, a whole bunch of cool work stuff in the works. Um, hopefully, I should be able to announce some more things, uh, some some final dates and venues and all that stuff for seminars. Uh, I do have seminars that I'm going to do on uh, Monday. What is it? Uh, July seventh? No, M- Monday, July eighth in Dallas, Texas, and uh, Monday, uh, July fifteenth in Amsterdam. Those are classes that are going to happen. Uh, I just need to get the uh, the venue information finalized, and then I can actually announce stuff and open up registration for it. So that's going to happen. I'm going to stop rambling. Let's get into this interview with Eleanor Boyd, and I'll be back after that. Um, my name's Eleanor Boyd. I pierce right now in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You can find me on Facebook under that same name or on Instagram. My handle is E13ANOR. Was that because all the good Eleanor screen names were already taken? No, I've always liked the number 13 and I graduated in 2013, so it kind of worked. Ah, okay. Well, that makes sense. So... Over the last couple of weeks, I've been I've been talking to people about different things that can be like a challenge in the workplace, and it was all because of some suggestions I got from Brandon Downs. You know, and he was saying I'm partially sighted piercer, and you know it's really challenging, and I want to kind of share my experience. And then I talked to uh, Marie Fowler, who has uh, partial hearing loss, and uh, you know I wanted to talk to someone about 
different kinds of physical impairments, uh, different things like that. And Brandon actually suggested you. And I, I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about, uh, you know, working with something like a physical impairment. But just a couple of things to get out of the way first. What do you what do you think about the the term phrase wording uh, of calling certain things disabilities? Do you think that that's accurate? Do you feel like there's a, a better way to refer to things like that? It it doesn't bother me at all. Um, it's never been an issue that I've felt uncomfortable with or anything like that. My biggest personally for me, my biggest concern is just that there are people who are much more profoundly disabled than I am. Mm -hmm. So. To refer to myself as disabled, sometimes it's hard to get that point across to other people that disabilities come in a lot of different forms, and it's not always totally crippling or debilitating, but uh, you know, sometimes it is, too. Uh, I think it just is up to whoever the person who's affected by that uh, to decide what they're comfortable with and, and what degree of disability they feel that they have. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I think it's important to just keep in the back of your mind, you know, for whenever you're interacting with someone who's in the industry or someone walking through the door, sometimes disabilities, impairments, what whatever you'd want to call it, they might not be uh, they might not be obvious, you know? So somebody might be able to walk right into your own shop under their own power, but you know, maybe they might have issues um, like like one instance is I had a client come in who she was fine to walk into the shop, walk around, sit around, no problem, but she couldn't physically lay down. And that's typically how I how I have people positioned for a lot of the different piercings I do. But you know, she had problems with uh, her neck and her back, and she just she couldn't physically stay in that position comfortably. So I kind of had to switch things up. But it, it it wouldn't have been obvious to me at first, you know. Um, but talk a little bit about what your your physical impairments, dis disabilities, limitations might be, um, and just just kind of like give me a good idea of of what you're working with. Okay, sure. Give me one second, though, because my dog's going to bark, so I'm going to go shut him away. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. No problem. Um, so as far as what I'm dealing with is I have a six-level spinal fusion I had done when I was 17. So this was back in 2012 um, to kind of prevent uh, further worsening of my scoliosis. I was diagnosed with scoliosis in 2007, um, and then they monitored it for years, for the next five years after that to see how it continued to get worse over time. And when I was finished growing, which is typically when scoliosis stops getting worse, um, my curvature continued to increase. So they recategorized it as adult progressive scoliosis. And if they didn't fuse it, it would continue to get uh, obviously progressively worse over time. Um, so at the time I was under the impression from the orthopedic surgeon, I saw that I'd be able to resume full activity and it wouldn't impair my life in any capacity after about a year. Uh, but that hasn't really been the case. Um, and it's just kind of been something I deal with every day. And then some days it's worse and some days it's pretty manageable. But since I've had so much, I've had a lot of nerve damage and a lot of inflammation and that sort of thing following that surgery, um, it's actually been recategorized as failed back surgery syndrome for all okay. intents and purposes. Um, and then I just have to sort of keep up with it with different kinds of pain management and, uh, therapy and medication regimens, that sort of thing. 
Um, wow. So overall, I mean, it, it, I have days where it affects the strength in my legs um, and makes me prone to falling or have difficulty getting around just overall with mobility. Um, I have days where it's pretty okay and I'm just uncomfortable at most. Uh, you know, and I've, I've got everything in between as well. Fortunately, I've been able to find ways to fairly well manage it with medication and, uh, I guess, procedures every like six months or so that help, uh, that cauterize the nerves and help deal with that nerve pain that I get. Jeez. Every six months you, you do that? So what, if you could compare it to something that, you know, maybe people in the body art realm might be able to understand, like, is there something comparable going through um, something like that every six months? Um, I mean, I would say the actual procedure itself, uh, basically what they do is they put really long needles into my lower back and then they burn the nerves that are in there. And uh, <laughs> you can't, you can't be put under fully sedated. They do give you uh, a little bit of, I think it's lorazepam, for the procedure just to keep you calm and, and as relaxed as possible. And then they give you local anesthetic for that initial pinch. But once they really get in close to those joints and that, the, the vertebrae, um, it does get pretty uncomfortable. I would say I haven't had laser tattoo removal, but it's probably kind of like that if it were internal. <laughs> so it's not fun. Uh, the first couple of times <laughs> I had it, it was okay. And then after that I had a really rough time of it. Um, I spent a while, I think I spent like a good hour in the recovery room after that while they tried to sort of manage my pain before they sent me home. And then I was kind of on bed rest for a couple days after that. Wow. So if it, if it's cauterizing nerve endings, does that, does that limit you for like, um, the sensations that you'd want to have or for your, your mobility or anything? Not so much for my mobility. Uh, sometimes they'll do a steroid injection at the same time and, or like a local nerve block. And if it, that nerve block, um, basically that fluid builds up and once you stand up, it can kind of drip down onto nerves that it's not supposed to be blocking. Mm -hmm. So that can make me a little bit unsteady. But as a rule, it doesn't affect that. I definitely have a lot of numbness in my lower back, which doesn't really bother me because it, it's mostly so sensitive and uncomfortable anyway that I don't really want much sensation back there. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, you know, it's every six months because a lot of those nerves regenerate. Not all of them. And some people have great success with very little regeneration in those nerves, but I've got so many that, you know, they tend to regenerate and you go back and just have it done again. Wow, that sounds really fun. <laughs> it's a treat. <laughs> so, okay, how long have you been piercing? Uh, coming up on three years. All right. And, uh, you know, what's it like? Because I, I think people who listen to the show who are body piercers know that it can be long hours where you're on your feet, a lot of hunching over, um, a lot of bad posture, uh, a lot of carrying the weight on your shoulders. Um, how, how does that impact you as a piercer do you have limitations for how many hours you go do you have do you do walk-ins or do you do appointments you can kind of like space things out like how do you how do you manage your time in the studio um i've been working in a relatively like low to medium volume studio so i am able to take breathers if i get a busy day in between um 
and, and I think the area I work in, working in Pittsburgh, it's kind of a notoriously friendly city. So, you know, I'm fortunate that my clients are always really understanding, uh, you know, if I just need a minute to kind of stretch or, or whatever. Um, as far as, you know, posture goes, um, I, I generally sit to pierce, which I know is kind of not really a popular method or, or from what I understand it's not. Um, but I just find that that's more comfortable. And then I also, because those six lower vertebrae are fused, I don't have a lot of flexibility. Even if I'm not experiencing a lot of pain at a given time, I just can't bend a significant part of my lower back. Sure. So to stand over a table and try to bend over a client isn't always feasible for me to do it in a way that I feel steady or comfortable right. performing a piercing then. Well, um, you know, going going back to the the whole seated position thing, uh, I know that you know it does, any anything that comes up in the piercing industry, uh, it, you're going to have people that are like, "Oh, that's a terrible idea! Like, don't ever do that." But sometimes they don't really they don't really have a good reason why. It's just because they heard someone else say, "Well, you probably shouldn't do that." But when I when I was building out my newest studio, um, I have I have one piercing room where it's uh, it's made for the client to lay down and the piercer to stand kind of a high table and then my other workroom I have it a, a fairly low table and it's meant for the the person to be in a seated position while they work and I think both are perfectly adequate uh, so if if there are people out there and not just people that might have mobility issues or pain or soreness or you know weakness in their lower body anything like that but uh, I, I think younger piercers especially should think about ergonomics like as early in their career as possible and if it makes sense for you to sit down if it's more comfortable you know if you're still getting if you have good visibility uh, you know if you're getting good results I, I don't see anything wrong at all with working from a seated position right and I mean like you said even outside of people who are, are you know otherwise abled or disabled um, I mean if you're more comfortable in one position or another chances are you're going to have more success with your work, I would think. Totally. You know, yeah. As opposed to trying to pierce how someone told you to pierce because that's what they said when you don't really feel confident or comfortable with what you're doing. Right, right. And, you know, it can even just be different body shapes. You know, if people are shorter, you know, maybe they'll have an easier time working from a seated position with the client laying so that they don't have to, like, crane their neck in an odd way or, or whatever, you know. But I, I think people should just also think that, a lot of piercing studios, uh, the setup, I, the layout, the the flow, uh, the general studio design is usually based on standing while you work. So if you're going to be working from a seated position and you get you have the opportunity, kind of the luxury to set up your shop however you want, think that a lot of other things are probably going to need to be lower so that you can keep it ergonomically sound. Like in my studio, uh, all of our sharps containers are mounted low enough so that they're eye level when you're in a seated position. So if you are piercing from a chair, you can just reach over and you can drop your, your needle into the sharps container without having to basically like slam dunk it in or something like that, you know? And you might need to have lower countertops or different kinds of trash cans and different stuff mounted in different places. So um, it might not work for you if you're trying to work from a seated position, if you're in a studio that's built around standing on your feet. So uh, if you think that that might work for you, you know, if you have back problems, leg problems, arm problems, neck problems, working from a seated position can be great. Just keep in mind that you might have to change some of your um, your work setup. Sure. And then, I mean, there is the, you know, while I tend to prefer to pierce seated, 
I do appreciate that I can get breaks and stand up and move around and then go back to sitting or vice versa, which is just something really that piercing as a field or, or an industry is good for me um, in that respect, because, you know, I could never sit at an office desk for eight hours a day. It's just way too much. I can't be hunched over a desk at a keyboard or doing paperwork or something like that. I've found that sitting is actually generally the most uncomfortable position for me relative to, you know, standing, walking or laying. Mm -hmm. Is it because it puts more weight on your lower back? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of that. And I tend to kind of, you know, hunch forward, which puts a lot of stress on that lower back, but then also puts a lot of tension in my neck and shoulders and just isn't really conducive in any capacity or, or way. Sure. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, I'll pierce from a seated position sometimes, but most of the time when I'm working from a seated position, it's when I do scarification, you know, and some of those appointments are hours long. And I'm and, sure that's, you know, something I could never manage. Well, I mean, you know, maybe, but uh, if if it was some, you know, scarification, I only get those appointments a handful of times a month, you know, it, it would be completely different to me if I was doing it daily. I would probably have to have some sort of like at least elbow support, you know, because my, my biggest problem is when I'm doing this stuff, you know, I, I do lean forward a little bit, not as much hunching as I would if I was working from a standard position. You know, when I'm doing a piercing, a lot of times I am hunching over for those, you know, a couple seconds, 30 seconds, a minute or whatever to, to do a procedure start to finish. But um, with scarification, I'm leaning forward less, but for way longer periods of time. And by the end, um, carrying all that weight, like in my shoulders, especially, like I just get knots and like it really like it really beats me up, you know, so uh you know working from a seated position even then you know ergonomics are still important because it's it's all about like how you carry the weight you know don't buy like the cheapest possible office chair you know buy something that has lumbar support um buy something that has some like you know shock absorbing comforting something or other like you know because when you get to around 20 years into a, into the industry, um, you're, you know, your back gets destroyed if you're not paying attention to, to ergonomics. So even if you kind of start out your career, no problems, no limitations, uh, you know, a good amount into it, um, you, you beat your body up really bad. And I'd imagine it's probably multiplied when you're starting out with, with back issues already. Sure. Um, you know, I would definitely think so. I definitely have to be even though at this point there's not anything I would do that would necessarily cause damage to the fusion or, or like what's going on with the scoliosis, I still do have to be careful because something that might, you know, be just normal fatigue in the back or back pain for, for someone else over time could definitely put a lot of pressure on the nerves that I have that are already basically shot, you know? Mm -hmm. So what's... What's kind of like your your maximum comfort zone for like let's say you have a really busy day, um, do you do you try to like pepper in breaks or like stretching exercises or is it just that you know the act of getting up and walking around moving your legs a little bit and, and getting some blood flow going like what what kind of helps to make it as manageable as possible on a busier day? Definitely getting up and moving around in between is probably the most important part, getting that blood flowing, because I do have a lot of compression on those nerves in my lower back. It, it causes numbness and weakness, and there are times where if I don't, you know, if I don't get up frequently enough, which isn't really an issue at work, but, you know, more so was when I was in school and that sort of thing, you know, if I sit for a couple hours or something, and I get up, I'm going to be a little unsteady at first, um, and probably both my legs are going to be, for all intents and purposes, asleep. Mm -hmm. 
but then beyond that, there's a lot of stretching that helps. Um, even just like sort of reaching for my toes. I can't touch my toes cause I can't bend that much, but I generally can't touch your toes either. It's okay. <laughs> but generally reaching, you know, in that direction or trying to stretch out like that, um, that sacroiliac joint and, uh, my sciatic nerve. That's where I get a lot of discomfort, uh, from being stuck in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I, you know, I try to keep up with stretches and that kind of thing at home to stay as flexible as I can. Do, does anything like massage or do you see a chiropractor? Do, do you do anything like that? Does that help? Um, I have seen a chiropractor. Generally, it only gives me, you know, it's nice when I go and it gives me relief for maybe like the rest of that day. But long term, it doesn't really seem to help or do a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the same with massages. You know, they feel nice and everything and it'll loosen me up for a couple days to a week maybe. Um, but then I'll end up back with the discomfort. Um, I do get a lot of knots just from the tension that's in my back from it constant, you know, from me being tight cause it's uncomfortable or because when nerves are kind of misfiring, like they are for me, mm-hmm. it can cause, you know, muscles to basically spasm and into knots kind of thing. Yeah. So I definitely get a lot of knots, but you know, if, if I have someone work on them, either a masseuse or whoever, uh, generally, you know, only loosens them up, loosens them up briefly before they kind of come back. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, there are limitations to, to that kind of therapy. I, you know, I've had moments where I've gone to massage therapists and, you know, it's made me feel great that day, but then the next day I go back to work and then I, I feel like an old man again after standing awkwardly or hunching or doing whatever I know that I'm not supposed to be doing. But I do it anyway. I've thought about going to a chiropractor, but kind of like what you said, so many people say that, you know, it's it's a short-term fix. You have to go in for tune-ups, like, so frequently to, to have, like, lasting long-term effects that I just don't feel like it's something that I would stick with. So I, I think right. maybe massage therapy about it, that's about as far as I'd probably end up going. Right. I mean, maybe if you can keep up with the two to three times a week adjustments and that kind of thing, then it might be worthwhile. But in my experience... Uh, Generally, at least with my insurance company, um, when I, they have to do like evaluations every so often to see how helpful it's being. And if there's not a certain percentage of improvement, uh, then they don't continue to cover it. So it becomes pretty pricey. I mean, to pay out of pocket for that multiple times a week or anything like that. Well, you were also talking about uh, medications that you take and how that affects your workday. Talk talk a little bit about that too, since we're kind of on the subject of you know healthcare type stuff. Sure. So I take a central nervous system depressant, which basically just sort of is supposed to help keep those nerves from being so um, basically tense or reactive or that kind of thing. And it does help. Um, I take it twice a day. And, uh, I've taken a few different kinds. Some of them have really nasty side effects. Um, other like ranging anywhere from, you know, just dizziness or or nausea, uh, to forgetfulness to, um, one of the drugs I've taken, one side effect was actually suicide, not even just suicidal thoughts. I guess that they've had enough instances of people getting that horribly depressed on it, um, that that's listed in the brochure. Um, so it's the kind of thing, you know, you watch the commercials for and there's like, you know, 30 seconds of commercial time and two and a half minutes of side effects being listed off. 
Right. Um, they all affect dif- you know different people pretty differently. Like I said, I've taken a few different ones, and I finally found one that's pretty helpful. But and and kind of I experienced minimal side effects. Uh, I took one called gabapentin or neurontin before. I'm sorry. Uh, could you say that one more time? It's called gabapentin or neurontin. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's uh. I had super bad memory issues with that. I just couldn't, like, I, you know, would sit there and read a paragraph of text or something and immediately, like, all of that information would be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I switched to, uh, it's called Pregabalin, or the brand name is Lyrica. Um, okay, I've heard, I've heard of that one before. Yeah. Isn't that one, that one also for, like, uh, uh, like fibromyalgia, too, yeah, or something? Yeah, And I think that they might use it for epilepsy, but I could be wrong. Okay. Um, but they definitely do treat fibromyalgia with it because it's a lot of the same. Honestly, I mean, fibromyalgia is a, a nervous system disease, as, mm-hmm. as I know. So it's a lot of the same, you know, symptoms. Um, and the Lyric is pretty good, but I have to be careful with when I take it. Uh, I'm supposed to take it once in the morning uh, and once at night. And if I take it too late at night, I just will never wake up for my alarms in the morning. Um, and if I take it in the morning without food or something like that or too close to where I have to go to work, it'll really affect my fine motor skills and, like, my depth perception um, to the point where, you know, it probably wouldn't really be a great idea for me to pierce. So well, if I, you know, if I oversleep or I miss breakfast or whatever, um, generally I'll skip that morning dose and just wait until the evening, which isn't a huge deal every so often. But the, the trade-off is you probably have to just live with more pain during the day, right? Yeah, a little bit more inflammation generally. Um, you know, I can kind of manage it with like ibuprofen or, or just whatever over-the-counter medication. And then I've also been prescribed anti-inflammatories, but I try to keep those to a minimum to, you know, salvage my stomach lining. <laughs> Man. Sometimes I talk to people that are, you know, they're, they're managing chronic illnesses and, you know, dealing with different kinds of therapy and medications and all that stuff. And it just sounds like such a, such a challenging schedule to kind of stay on, you know, like I, I'm very fortunate that I don't have to have things like that in my life. I just don't, I don't know that I'm adult enough to stick to that kind of a schedule. It definitely can be. I mean, like I said, with having to miss doses every so often in the morning, um, you know, I'll sometimes skip a dose on purpose at night. Like if I'm out with friends at the bar and I have a few drinks, like I absolutely can't take it because it'll make me so sick. Um, you know, one, one beer with a dose of Lyrica is like three or four for me. Like it's not, it's not even a pleasant time at that point. So I will take it if I know that I'm going to be, you know, drinking or out with friends or anything like that. Um, like last year at conference, I don't think I took it really at all. Um, just because I didn't want to, last year was my first year at conference and I didn't want to be in a strange place surrounded by so many people and like have one drink and suddenly be blackout drunk because I took my medication that day or something. Sure. Probably sounds like a smart move. Like, uh, (laughs) I just don't like being drunk outside of like, I don't know, my house, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I definitely don't want to be drunk in Las Vegas with a million strangers around me. Right. So in the workplace, have you ever had to deal with a situation where maybe you just don't feel up to client services? Like, have you ever had any unexpected moments where you're like, you know, I have too much pain today or my legs feel weak or do you, do you ever have to deal with like weakness or coordination issues with your arms? 
Uh, no, not really with my arms, mostly just my legs. So, I mean, even on days where I've used like, uh, crutches, like I have those, you know, those polio crutches, <laughs> I have those, the arm cuff ones. Um, and I have a cane depending on how bad it's been. Um, I actually haven't had to use any of those in, uh, over a year since I've been getting the, the radio frequency neurotomy procedures. But on days when I would have to use those, you know, I, I think the worst part is even if I was able to manage a piercing, because I could then, you know, sit down and be totally fine. I always felt like clients would see me come to grab them and take them back into the piercing room, like on crutches, like, oh, my God, how is she even going to pierce me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude, so this is probably something that I probably should have asked Brandon or Marie, you know, because Brandon has an eye patch. Marie has a hearing device on the side of her head, you know, how do you, how do you have those interactions with a client? You know, so if, if you come out to, to pierce someone and you have a crotch or a cane, do they kind of give you an odd look or do, do they ever, does that mess with their confidence and, and you kind of have to explain to them, like, I'm, I'm a, a fully functional person. It's just, you know, I, I use this for assistance. Like, have you ever had to have conversations about that stuff with a client? Um, I don't really explicitly remember anything, so nothing super noteworthy, but mm-hmm. I have, you know, like I said, I have come out, like, of the piercing room and had clients kind of look at me like, oh, I didn't, at the very least, like, it wasn't what they expected, which, mm-hmm. like you said, I'm sure that's something Brandon probably deals with a lot more of having the... Sorry, one second. <laughs> yeah, that's adorable. Are you are you having a tug of war with your dog? No, they're just being a pain in the butt with each other. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm sure that that's something Brandon deals with a lot more than I do, being that obviously piercing is a probably a pretty, at least to outside people, something that would they would be assume they would assume is a very sighted skill. So I'm sure that people are often a lot more intimidated by the fact that he's visually impaired than they are, you know, that I might have a cane or whatever on a given day, because that's super easy to explain away is, you know, I just use this to help me walk. I'm totally fine to pierce. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that that's, you know, like you said, something he would be able to shed a little bit more light on. Sure. Yeah. When you were, when you were working with a crotch or working with a cane, um, was that something where uh, you only needed it to maybe like move from one room to another? Did, was that something where you needed it inside of the piercing room or did you kind of put that to the side before hand washing or anything or did you have to kind of incorporate it into your workflow? Um, I, had, I generally, once I was sitting and I was able, I was able to reach the sink to wash my hands and everything from, and all of my supplies from a seated position. So once mm-hmm. I put into a seat, I could set it aside, but um I would say that the most I have needed those things for is like getting up and down from a seated position Hmm. um, because it's really hard for me without much in the way of lower back or core strength to kind of, especially if I'm having, you know, an exceptionally amount or an exceptional, excuse me, amount of weakness um, on a given day. Like it's hard for me to get that momentum to kind of push myself up. Sure. Why would you, and since I don't get really any, issues or effects in my arms, I would use that more, you know, Mm -hmm. in conjunction with a cane or whatever to push myself. Did you ever have a a challenge, like say at the end of a procedure, um, where you had to 
you had to use the, the crutch or the cane again, um, but there was maybe like an extra step, you know, uh, to prevent some sort of like a contamination event or something, or did it seem to be just pretty, pretty seamless with your work? It was pretty seamless. You know, like I said, I was able to pretty much reach all the supplies, the sharps yeah. container, um, was that like a conscious effort for for setting up your workspace, or was everything kind of conducive to that when no, you came it in? No, worked that way. It was a really small piercing room, so you know things were kind of only could only go so many places. Um, and then we had all of our certificates on the wall, so we didn't have anything that was high up. Most of it was in lower cabinets. Mm. You know, the best thing there was was. Uh, the sink really sure yeah well uh so so is is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with uh with the mobility issues no nothing really comes to mind well i i kind of want to uh just kind of talk about ergonomics a little bit you know and it's not so much asking questions or even making statements but you know what are some of the things that you think have been most beneficial to you you know for someone who works from a seated position uh, what are some of the, the ergonomics that have you, that you've found helpful? Did you, did you change any of the heights on anything like the, the sharps container or like, is that, is that at like an eye level for when you're standing or is it comfortable for you? Like dropping a sharp in when you're in a seated position? Um, it is about eye level. I'm pretty comfortable dropping a sharp in from a seated position. We actually did move our sharps container and it's a little higher now than it used to be. Mm-hmm. So... I haven't really had, I actually haven't had to use the sharps container on a day where I was having a hard time getting around or getting up, up and down. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, CJ Maxwell was probably the first person that put just the idea of piercing from a seated position on my mind because she has, she has all kinds of uh, physical ailments too. And, uh, for her, she had a really tough time, you know, with bending and hunching and posture issues and all that stuff. So, you know, that, that really started to make me think about ergonomics. And I know Dana Dinius has brought up ergonomics a lot. And, uh, you know, every piercer knows some of the goofy body positions, you know, when you're hanging around with body piercers and you make jokes about like the piercer stance, which would be that like deep horse stance. If you're talking about like martial arts or something, you know, like every piercer knows that. And every piercer knows that whole, like, tuck your elbows in or lift your elbows up and like do make these weird chicken wing positions and like hunching forward and all that stuff. And, uh, I, I would really love to see studies on if there's, if there's like a comparable industry, you know, maybe nursing or something like that, where people are doing those kinds of body movements and motions and hunching and all that stuff. And the the steps that we could take as body piercers to think about ergonomics, you know, I I think that's going to be, I think it's going to be a really major thing because, over the last few years, so many people have gotten into this career or have stepped up in this career, uh, but they're still, you know, kind of newer, you know, within that like five-ish years of experience kind of range. And I think once a lot of those piercers start getting into that 10-year kind of range, especially the ones that are doing higher volume, they're going to start falling apart physically, you know. So I, I think I just want a lot of piercers to start thinking about ergonomics like early on. Sure. What else is on your mind for piercing stuff lately? Like any jewelry trends that you're that you're digging or like what's working for you really good in your studio right now is there like a trend or a a jewelry type or something that you're into i mean i'm always a big fan of gold i Mm. can't i can't ever uh can't ever get sick of gold um i'm super addicted to gold but i think sometimes when people talk about gold 
people might not really get it. And for, for me, the reason I really love gold is because it was just, it was never in the realm of possibility for me. You know, as, as, as a person, I couldn't afford to wear gold. And as a piercer, I couldn't really afford to stock gold. And when I finally did start getting a little bit of it, it was really challenging to, to move that gold, you know? So now it's like a, it's a real big point of pride for me. It's not just, oh, gold, you know, for, for me, it's, it's, it's definitely this connection. And I think that's where a lot of piercers get their, their, their most success from it when they've kind of had to like push for it and struggle and they really appreciate it on, on multiple levels. So I kind of, I get what you mean when you say that you you love gold. I mean, truthfully, I'm a little spoiled because I actually, um, bought BVLA before I was even in the industry. Um, and that was truthfully what made me want to get into it was because I didn't know that there was so much that could be done with body jewelry or, you know, any kind of, I didn't know anything about jewelry in general, really. I, I wore basic, you know, steel, you know, I'm doing air quotes. You can't see it, but <laughs> jewelry. I can hear the air quotes. Spencer's for years and years. And it was, you know, I have sensitive skin, so it was constantly a nightmare. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to salvage my piercings so badly and everything. And I just didn't know that I had options for quality jewelry because I, I grew up in a really, really rural area and there's almost no one out there piercing. And I think when I was growing up there, there was actually no one. Um, uh, Shelly and Ty own Modern Ethos not far from where I grew up, but I don't think that they've been there since I since I lived there, at least. Where did, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Carlisle, PA, or well, okay. actually Boiling Springs, which is neighboring Carlisle, but it's so small, there's not even a single stoplight in the whole town, so. <laughs> so, so it was like, it was jewelry that kind of sparked the bug for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I don't even remember exactly what it was, but when I was like a, a kid, I was just really drawn to the whole, the act of pushing a needle through through your body, you know, and I, I did all kinds of dumb stuff when I was a kid, and then when I when I made that, those first early like teenager jumps from like, okay, I'm just wearing crappy little wire earrings to this is body jewelry, this is made for body piercings, that was a, a really nice feeling, and then years later when I could start kind of switching over to higher end stuff, you know, stuff with like diamonds or gold or something like that. It just felt so like cool and special and really like rekindled uh, why I love body piercing so much. And it kind of changed it from being about the act of piercing to like the act of wearing something as an adornment and kind of like, you know, it, part of it's showing off a little bit, you know, but it just, it makes you, it makes you feel good, you know, like I guess that's why some people are into fancy shoes or fancy clothes or whatever. I'm just, I'm into fancy jewelry that I tend to wear through my face. Yeah. Likewise. I, you know, I've got tons of BVLA in my face, but I will be wearing jeans and a t-shirt or yoga pants and a t-shirt almost and any given day. Yeah. I think that's kind of like piercer uniform. You know, you just wear like you wear your comfy street clothes, but like your body jewelry probably costs more than some people's cars. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the nicest, compliments and probably one of the most honest compliments I ever got from someone was, you know, those interactions where a client comes in and just like stares at you for a minute and like, you know that they're staring and they know that they're staring. And then what they say next is really what changes it from like a good interaction to a bad interaction. Sometimes they'll just be like, oh, did that hurt? And then you'd be like, oh God, one of these. But this woman just looked at me and like stared at me for a while and looked at and just said, your face looks so, and then she paused for a second and just said, 
expensive. And it was like, it was this great, where I was like, oh, thank you, because that really could have been a completely different interaction depending on what word you chose to yeah, use. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Your face looks horrendous. No, I used to, before I was piercing and everything, I used to, like I said, I started buying BVLA before I got into the industry, and I used to wait tables um, at a little local breakfast and lunch joint that uh, employed a lot of people with tattoos and piercings. That was kind of like their their thing for whatever reason. Um, and I used to, we still got a lot, being you know, a brunch restaurant, we got a lot of like older clientele or customer base um tables that kind of thing mm -hmm. and i can't tell you how many times like older women would stare at my jewelry or, or my face generally and then they would you know start asking me about my jewelry and they would always it, it almost came across as like a backhanded compliment but it was always like you know oh my granddaughter has one of those in her nose referring to my septum but you know it just doesn't look nice like that like it does on you and it's like yeah uh, thanks, I guess. But yeah. Tons of compliments. That's almost from, a compliment? Yeah. Tons of compliments or, or almost compliments from people who are totally outside of the industry and, you know, totally separate from it that also, like me, before I got into it, didn't have any idea that body jewelry could be nice. <laughs> sure. Sure. I, I really like changing people's minds about what body piercing is, you know, because I think... So... Uh, just to, just to qualify what I'm going to say, uh, I just got back from the Boston Tattoo Convention, and uh, I brought Rob, who is kind of newer on my staff. He's never been to the convention with me before, and this was this, his first time interacting with convention clientele. And it's it's really different because when, when people walk through the shop door, maybe they're not experts, maybe they don't know everything that you have to offer in the studio, but they might at least have broad strokes knowledge of what you do there. You know, you offer a certain quality, you offer a certain aesthetic or style, and you have a certain kind of jewelry, whatever. But all these different people, um, it was like sight unseen, like they had no concept of what we were offering, and they might have had a preconceived notion of what body piercing was. So to them, uh, they might just see costume jewelry from like a Claire's or like Walmart body jewelry, you know, like the, the really low end costume jewelry kind of stuff. And then when they see all these brands for the first time, it really like turns it on their head. It turns it on its head. And all these people where they might not have ever considered body piercing before, you know, maybe they thought it, it could be cute, but the jewelry looks tacky or, or something like, like you said, like, you know, my, my relative has it, but it just doesn't look how yours looks. Um, I really like it when people can look at jewelry and appreciate the jewelry and that makes them change their mind on body piercing, you know, like sometimes people will look at something I'm wearing and be like, I love that. I've never seen that before. And I'm just like, I know, look right here. I've got 10 more of them. Do you want one in your face? You know, and I just love those kind of interactions that you can have with people when you change their preconceived notions. Yeah, I use my jewelry all the time to try and make sales. Sometimes it works. A lot of times it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But it's definitely, at, at the very least, a good selling point. You know, somebody comes in and compliments my jewelry. I, I get a lot of, like, mother-daughter pairs or, or, you know, even just groups of friends. Uh, and, you know, they'll, like, point at my jewelry and they'll be like, that's what I want. And it's like, okay, cool. I can help you with that. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really fun. Uh, something uh, Tiana McGuire told me once was, uh, you have to you have to wear what you want to sell. Maybe not like literally the exact piece that you want to sell, but 
at the time I was wearing like really crappy jewelry and I was selling body vision, but I was wearing like plated, you know, black line jewelry or something like that. And, and she was like, you know, you really have to put in an effort with your own jewelry because you don't want to be wearing $5 crappy jewelry in like goth jewelry in your face and trying to tell people that gold and diamonds and internal thread and all this stuff is important if you're not proving that it's important by actually wearing something similar. So uh, yeah, I think it's, it, it's a great conversation starter. As painful as it is when people stare at, stare at me and I know they're staring at me, you know, and it's like, I know that they're doing it harmlessly because we're talking about body jewelry and I'm wearing a bunch of stuff on my face that's similar to what we have and what we're talking about. Um, but I just, I, it makes me feel really uncomfortable when people stare and then they kind of point at something. They're like, oh, what is that one? And it's like, I know they're saying it because they're excited and they want something similar, but it just, ooh, it's like dreadful when, when people do that to me. It's like really socially awkward and painful. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, do you ever just sort of like distance yourself from like whatever's happening around you or whatever and then somebody points something out about you and you're like, oh God, I'm like a real like human being, right? Now. Right, yeah, it's like I, I'm trying <laughs> real hard to be a cardboard cutout that's just pointing at the body jewelry, but no, they're treating me like a person and it's terrible. Uh, I, I have all different kinds of little phrases and like the, the way I speak to kind of cut off the conversation without making them feel like I'm cutting them off, but like I'm redirecting their attention basically. So if people kind of point and they're like, oh, I love that. And then I immediately just go right to the case. I'm like, oh yeah, look at this right here. Not, not me. Don't like awkwardly make me feel uncomfortable, yeah. but look at these other things that are very similar. Ooh, buy one of them. Uh. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do kind of like being able to have an icebreaker and it's maybe less of an icebreaker than like a tiebreaker. So if someone's staring at jewelry and they're like, well, I just can't decide between white gold or yellow gold or rose gold. It's really easy for me to be like, I am just a sucker for rose gold. That's what I wear on all my piercings. I feel like it looks much warmer on certain kinds of complexions. Like I'm a pretty pale person. I think it looks warmer on me. And I think white gold would look a little bit colder on me and maybe not look as, as nice. And just being able to have those kinds of conversations where I'm redirecting them and, you know, maybe giving them a quick example that they can look at. But then we're, we're right back into talking about jewelry and it's, it's good. It's like a, a, a place for the conversation to go if it needs to, but I just, I don't, I don't really want to be scrutinized. That's the main thing. Right. Uh, so what, what, what do you think is like your, uh, your favorite piece right now? Do you have anything that's kind of making you drool in the case a little bit? Um, cause I just got Oregon sunstone for the first time. Oh, we've been, we've, BVLA has been sending out a lot of that. To, I mean, I, just in general, I've seen pictures of it, but it's mm -hmm. so beautiful. Um, yeah. We have some uh, rose-cut Zawadi sapphires, mm. and those are super nice. Um, they're kind of that sort of, like, grayish color where they're almost in between, like, gray and beige. You know, yeah. it's, it's, like, the number one, you know, neutral to paint your house kind of thing. But yeah. I love it. I think it's great because you could push it kind of in e either direction. Um, and then they're set in yellow gold, I think, mm. which is my personal favorite. I think it looks good with everything. But See, yellow gold is my, my weakest seller. Uh, I, I think just for whatever reason, people around here aren't crazy about yellow gold, but they, they just eat up white gold and rose gold. White gold's always popular. People around here love white gold. Um, I would say rose gold and yellow gold sell about equally. Um, mm -hmm. 
maybe a touch more rose gold because I get a lot of people that look at yellow gold and, and for some reason like associate it with old people. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what I get too. Yeah, I don't know why that is. I mean, I guess maybe there was a point in time where I did the same thing because I used to hate yellow gold, but mm -hmm. it's all I wear anymore. Um, well, not to be like, you know, ageist, if that's a word, uh, but I, I think a lot of us when we're younger, um, our parents, our relatives, uh, older generations tend to, you know, at, at a certain point in life, you start wanting nice things and wearing nice things, you know, once you pass, move past youth. Uh, so I think people would look at gold jewelry in general and think of like their mother or their grandmother or their aunt yeah. or something. And then maybe they just don't want to be, they don't want to be that person yet in life. It's like, oh no, I'm not my grandmother. What are you talking about? You know? Sure. Um, so something like rose gold or white gold that can seem like it's got more of like a fashion element to it, uh, might be more appealing, but I, I still love the look of like a really nice yellow gold piece because I just think that there's some innate connection with human beings in gold where, you know, over thousands of years, it's been one of the most valuable things on the planet. And I don't think that'll ever go away. I think it's kind of ingrained in human DNA almost at this point. We're like magpies where we're drawn to it, but, you know, fashion trends kind of come and go maybe yellow gold will come back around here but i am I'm, I'm totally cool with with uh moving the the rose gold for now yeah i i think it complements that that zawadi sapphire i hope i'm saying that right i i'm pretty sure you are but um yeah i think it complements that stone really nicely i think that stone would go super well with like some champagne either cz's or diamonds whatever um mm. i think yeah. that it would go really well together for a nice look but I really like earth tones when it, when it comes to body piercings, uh, not to the point where I'm going to change around all the color palettes in my, in my shop, but you know, I, I am experimenting a little bit more with, you know, different kinds of quartz, you know, smoky quartz or rutilated quartz and, and trying out the Oregon sunstone and things like that. And it, I'm not really strong on a lot of different gemstones. So I'm, I, I pay attention to piercer trends. I pay attention to what people are, are posting on Instagram, you know, and what feels like it's moving. You know, I try not to fall into the traps of like, okay, now I'm going to order 50 pieces with Oregon Sunstone. <laughs> right. But, you know, I got a couple to experiment and they came in and they, they, they were really exactly what I wanted. Sometimes I've experimented with stones and they've come in and I've been like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get why this is so hot in other areas. I and mean, I think um, now that I have a better understanding of what kinds of gems work in certain sizes and with certain settings, I think I'm getting better at picking combinations, but there were some times where I'd, I'd pick total duds that are still just sitting in my case now where it's a great stone and it's a great piece of jewelry, but the combination just, just doesn't work. So nobody wants it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we definitely get that here. I mean, you know, clear stones, white opals, all that will always sell forever mm -hmm. around here. Um, you know, honestly, I think that we could order only clear stones and white opals and clients probably wouldn't even mind. Like if they wanted something different, they would probably be willing to order it and take a clear or a white, op a clear CZ or whatever, or a white opal and wear that until their custom piece came in. But it's nice to have different stuff in the case. And then, you know, people who maybe came in thinking they wanted something simple and neutral, uh, you know, might see something that they didn't even know existed. I mean, I, we still get, uh, stones from BVLA every so often that I'm like, Oh wow. I didn't even know that this was a thing. It's beautiful. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, uh, I, I like to go pretty safe with most of the jewelry that I order, but I on every order I try to make the conscious effort of like, okay, I'm going to get a few showstopper pieces, you know, stuff where I might take a little bit of a gamble on higher ticket pieces or more like elaborate combinations or something. And more often than not, those pieces are going to move and, and usually pretty quickly too because uh, when people go into a shop and they see the same thing over and over again, it's not always a negative, you know, like... Clear stones and white opals, like you said, they're they're always going to be popular because they just they look great all the time, you know. But um, sometimes, like having those really rare pieces where it's like you're the only business in an area that's going to carry it or something like that, really it really distinguishes you as something different. Even if you don't move it right away, just people seeing it in their case, they're going to kind of associate your shop with more like you know fashion forward options and really cool bold things that other shops don't have, and it's going to make them pay more attention to the other jewelry in the case. Definitely. And I think that fashion forward thing too, like you said, is a big deal. And you mentioned trends earlier. I remember again, back at conference last year, um, I was with a group of people and we were going, I think we went to Nacho Daddy or something. It was after banquet. Uh, and I was with April Thomas from born this way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, she like stopped in the middle. I forget. I think we were at the Bellagio at that point or something. I don't know. It, it, I got very turned around, <laughs> But there was a big poster for one of the big designer companies. I I don't remember if it was like Armani or what, but she stopped to point it out to all of us and to take a picture was the one model was wearing an anatomical cluster in her conch. Oh, cool. I think I remember her saying something about that online. And that's that's awesome that, you know, every now and then there'll be some picture of a celebrity with like a really fancy piece of body jewelry and it's so nice and refreshing and I wish more celebrities cared about their body jewelry because it's really disappointing when you see somebody like Lady Gaga wearing some like plastic piece of crap in a piercing. No, that's what, um, I think Gwyneth Paltrow had, I don't remember if it was an anatomical piece or what. Um, she had a piece in one of her ears in the most recent Avengers movie. Um, mm -hmm. and then, what was another one? Oh, I think um, Thomas at Aesthetic Ambition pierced Miley Cyrus at some point or another. That's cool. Um, so, yeah, it is, like you said, it's really nice that um, celebrities are getting more into quality body piercing and body jewelry because, I mean, that exposes a lot of the people like me and, like, an enormous majority of our clients uh, even to, to the fact that there is nicer body jewelry out there and that you don't just have to get, you know, morbid metals or, or whatever. Right. Yeah, if some, some like... Aluminum foil from the mall. <laughs> if, like, a Kardashian or Rihanna or Beyonce or something ever got, like, really into high-end jewelry and they were, like... In an interview, they were like, oh, yeah, I only wear this brand. Like, that would be the best thing in the world for, yeah. for this industry. It would be so amazing. So maybe, fingers crossed, someday somebody will end up being like a hashtag legit body jewelry nerd. And uh, they'll happen to be famous and toss some money our way. That would be great. So um, anything else you want to you wanna touch on? Um, not a whole lot that really comes... Okay. To mind. Um, yeah, I think this was a pretty good talk, though, you know, giving people kind of a different idea on body positioning and, and stuff like that. And just jewelry is always fun to talk about. Yeah, always. Um, but now, as far as, I mean, I think we made a lot of good points about even for people, you know, as someone who already has issues with their back that, you know, someone who's for 
effectively disabled, you know, completely on some days even. Um, I can't emphasize how important it is to pay attention to your body and listen to it. And, you know, I, I mean, I haven't, truthfully, I can't say that I have felt like fully comfortable since I had back surgery in 2012. And like, mm -hmm. that's a crazy thing, like to miss the feeling of just like, comfort is a crazy thing to not have. And like, I, if you can do anything to prevent reaching that point, or at least stave it off, definitely do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you had a bunch of your spine grinded apart and <laughs> yeah. stuck back together. Yeah, I, it must be, must be. I don't know. I'm really uncomfortable. Big shock. <laughs> That's the thing. Like I, and, and to me, it's not. You know, it's always weird going to the doctor, and they're like, you know, what's your pain today on a level, on a scale of one to ten? And it's like, I mean. For me, it's manageable, but I also haven't not been in pain since I was 17 years old. So, sure. for you know what you know what it must be like. It must be that equivalent of when some somebody just walks up to you in a public setting and they're like, "Oh, did that hurt?" You'd be like, "Uh, you know, <laughs> it is sure." On your scale, yes, this probably hurt really bad. On my scale, no. And for now, you are like, you know, somebody gets shot in the arm and you're like, "Oh, don't be a don't be a baby. That doesn't hurt." <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still don't like pain and piercings definitely still hurt. But to me, like a quick pinch is nothing compared to the fact that at 17 years old, I was, you know, basically relinquished to having to deal with it all the time for the rest of my life. Like, yeah. comparatively, like that's going to pass super fast. So it's easy, which I mean, I guess I can kind of use that to my advantage when talking with clients or even prospective clients about how much something hurts, you know, right. I'm in pain all the time every day, but it's not from my piercings. Those are just temporary. <laughs> it's emotional pain. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I appreciate you talking to me. I know that I've been kind of hounding you to do this for maybe like the last two okay. weeks or so. Fine. I know you're crazy busy, so it was, you know, just fun figuring out a time that we both had free. Yeah. Yeah. It works for me. All right. Well, uh, I'll see you in a couple of weeks in, in Vegas, right? Yep. I'll cool. I'll see you there. All right. Uh, any info you want clients to have? Uh, what's your social media again? Um, you can find me on Facebook at Eleanor Boyd um, or on Instagram at E13ANOR. And actually, if you do Facebook.com backslash, it's the same thing. It's the E13ANOR. So. Synergy. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I will see you soon. Cool. See you right. in a few weeks. Have a good night. You too. Thank you. All right, thanks for coming on the show, Eleanor. I always appreciate it when people make time for it. I also appreciate it when people kind of share honestly about their personal lives. I know it can really, really be helpful to other piercers, other people out there in the world to know that not everyone is uh, the, the perfect internet character that they live. You know, people are real human beings with real struggles and, and real personal issues. And uh, I think it's really important that you share that along with the, the information about the professional stuff. You know, everybody kind of gets where they need to get, whether it's personally or professionally. And a lot of people that are kind of struggling to get there, it really helps to kind of hear about other people's struggles and other people's journey. So really, you do uh, appreciate that. 
if you're a, a body piercer that wants to contribute to a future show, you know, maybe get in some stories about, you know, it doesn't have to be you completely botching something, but just some little thing that you might have learned from in the studio, something that you can kind of share with other piercers and, and kind of help them along the way, or maybe help them avoid the same mistakes or some of the same struggles that you went through. You can fill out that anonymous uh, Google form. I'm going to have that on the Facebook post for this episode going up. You can also find it on piercingwizardpodcast.com. Uh, it's totally anonymous. You know, you, you can you can suggest maybe a future person to have on the show or a future subject for the show, or you can share something with me, and I'll read it on the show. Same thing, you can always email me at ryanpba.gmail.com, and if you request uh, that your story or your info is anonymous, then I, I won't share your name or your shop info or anything like that. And uh, contribute anything you like. You know, this show, you know, when, if, if you just leave it up to me, it's probably going to be the exact same thing week after week. It's going to be me talking about taking trips and complaining about how I'm sad and how I'm burnt out and blah, blah, blah. So if you want some variety on the show, go ahead and message me and, and tell me what you want to see on the show or what you think might be helpful for other body piercers. Uh, i got a lot of stuff coming up over the next couple of weeks. I'm getting ready to head to the UK for a wrestling show. Uh, next week's show, I'm not really sure if it's going to be an interview or maybe I'll do some Q&A or if people submit some of those things uh, on that anonymous form, maybe I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, I'm going to start working on some sort of a get ready for conference episode and I'll get in a couple other interviews here or there. But if you want to hear anything, you want to see anything on the show, just uh, go ahead and reach out and let me know. And I will be back next week with some sort of show on some sort of subject. Thanks for listening. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. 